We have finally made it to episode 50 of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. And yeah, so big old 5-0, finally. Woo! Celebration! <laughs> anyway, um, one thing we're going to be celebrating by not doing is, uh, I'm sure there's some people tuning in this episode here on the 28th of February, uh, 2021, hoping that basically we're going to do like a massive rundown of what's happened at Park. Let me tell you what's happened. A bunch of crazy people have got together, done a lot of hypocritical bullshit, and that's it. You know, like, uh, there's not much to report on, really. You know, mm. so uh, like uh, some guy put up a golden statue, which, uh, as we all know, is uh, you know uh, uh, contrary to a certain commandment. I'm pretty sure that happens in the Bible. And also, oh, did you see actually as well uh, the uh, Trump Unity truck got towed away by Florida tow trucks? Wah 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 wah. Anyway, loads of other things that are even better than that. So uh, coming up today, uh, so David Attenborough has uh, given one of his starkest warnings yet to the UN Security Council. Uh, we are also going to be talking about uh, the COVID vaccine report uh, passports that's uh, been talked about. Uh, Animaniacs has been renewed for a third season. We got some new uh, stuff on the Rugrats. Uh, Disney World is going to be reopening for a couple of weeks. Uh, we have uh, the uh, sad news that uh, Daft Punk has finally split up, and also we're going to be talking about uh, the Ghostbusters seem to be making a comeback on YouTube. We'll tell you about that. Too. Also, uh, some Pixar news in regards to Monsters at Work and Luca. Also, uh, Nickelodeon is going to be expanding Avatar The Last Airbender with uh, its own animated film. Uh, the Weekenders have turned 2021, 20, and there's going to be a reunion uh, taking place on Zoom. And also, Mr. Potato Head is now gender neutral. You're listening to the Aaron and Patricia on the 28th of February of 2021. Patricia, do you want to tell everybody what's going on on the Old School Lane podcast? Yes. Uh, so as I mentioned last week, where, as you guys know, this week, it just so happens to be the 25th anniversary of Pokemon, which actually was yesterday uh, as of the recording of this podcast. So I posted up two new episodes of my podcast, Casual Chats. So the first one is discussing about the anime where I had special guests, um, the Cartoon Gamer 8000 and All Around Type, and we discussed about the anime. And then I interviewed Pokekills from the National Desk and discussed about um, her experiences with Pokemon. In addition to that, uh, there's some separate stuff going on with um, another podcast that I'm involved in called the Banter Broadcast. Uh, this is a podcast that I do with my college friends, and the, we haven't had one in a while. The last one that we had was back in last November, where we discussed about the Tron franchise. But uh, we just po- I just posted up a new episode of the Banter Broadcast discussing about the debate that was going on around last December, where people were giving a discussion about which was better, Nickelodeon Cartoon Network, based off of a post by Life of Devante on Twitter. And so if you want to check out uh, that discussion, you just uh, Google Banter Broadcast, and it's on both um spotify and on anchor so you can go listen to that it's almost two hours worth of uh funny discussions and uh we had a great time doing it and i have three other podcasts that we have recorded uh, including our personal thoughts on one that we're going to be talking about later today on the show which is about avatar studios so uh, that'll hopefully be coming out really soon so uh, stay tuned yeah, and so uh, would you believe, babe, now there's about uh, 893 different types of Pokemon. Yes, there is. Uh, anyone, if they dare say, gotta catch them all at this point in time, you are just taking the mic. I'm sorry. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of that college humor video where at the time when X and Y was released and there were over like 600 plus, and then the guy was forced in his own will to sing the entire Poke Rap with all 600 plus Pokemon. Now I can imagine singing for all 800 plus. That'd have to be for charity. 
I'm sorry. That's the only way I can see the poker app going on for 893. And uh, unless they decide to do like a collab where like uh, they just get everyone to sing it. You know, oh, that would be so fun. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool to see. So anyway, um, so David Attenborough has given the starkest warning yet to the United Nations Security Council. He is once again warning about uh, the dangers of climate change and has also said that some of the dam- damage that's already been done may be irreversible. Yes. So uh, we've been seeing over the past year of the severity of what's been going on with snowstorms, hurricanes, floods, earthquakes. It's gotten worse and to the point in which people are saying, well, we need to do something about it. But there's a lot of people who are denying it. And David Attenborough is telling them we need to get our stuff together. Otherwise, our planet is going to be doomed as we know it. Okay. well, let's uh, hear him in his own words. This is uh, courtesy of Channel 4 News. In the last 150 years, the world has warmed on average by just over one degree Celsius. And our atmosphere now contains concentrations of carbon dioxide that have not been equaled for millions of years. We are today perilously close to tipping points that once passed will send global temperatures spiraling catastrophically higher. If we continue on our current path, we will face the collapse of everything that gives us our security. Food production, access to fresh water, habitable ambient temperature, and ocean food chains. And if the natural world can no longer support the most basic of our needs, of civilization will quickly break down. Please make no mistake. Climate change is the biggest threat to security that modern humans have ever faced. I don't envy you the responsibility that this places on all of you and your governments. We have left the stable and secure climatic period that gave birth to our civilizations. There is no going back. No matter what we do now, it's too late to avoid climate change. And the poorest and most vulnerable, those with the least security, are now certain to suffer. Our duty right now is surely to do all we can to help those in the most immediate danger. But of course, we have a parallel duty. And it's here where I think there are grounds for hope. While it's true we can never go back to the stable benign climate that enabled us to flourish for the past 10,000 years, I do believe that if we act fast enough, we can reach a new stable state. Do you know, it's uh, amazing that uh, we've had these warning signs since, uh, you know, the the late 90s and probably further on from that. And uh, it's not been enough to obviously stop what uh, was eventually was, you know, a man-made disaster. You know, and uh, it was something that was going on since the you know, the days of the Victorian era, like just pumping fumes into the air and thinking that you know, nothing harmful was going to come of it. And right. uh, now we basically have um, other nations are basically turn around and say, "Well, hang on a second, you guys had this sort of, had this fun time, you know, doing all this stuff, and now 
all of a sudden, like, uh, we are not allowed to, you know, build our own industries and things like that. And, we, we, you know, this whole thing has done um, massive damage to, you know, the uh, the world. And now here we are at this point where basically saying, okay, well, there's no going back now, but at least there's uh, something that we can actually do about it. You know, at least to lessen the damage of what was being caused. But even then, you know, you um, sometimes ask yourself, um, you know, will these os- these words also themselves also fall on deaf ears? Because, I mean, um, look at all the warnings that have been given out previously about climate change. And uh, they just, you know, they just, uh, they've, they've just been totally thrown by the wayside. You know, uh, yep. I mean, unfortunately, uh, you know, I have huge amounts of respect to Sir David Attenborough, but uh, I mean, um, what, what, what? I mean, I'm not, uh, here's the thing: uh, I'm really skeptical of whether his uh, he will be taken seriously by all the people that he uh, claims to have the ears of at the moment. Because, yeah, like, you know, I, what, what, I hope what, they don't, don't. I don't. I hope that they don't, don't just don't see him as like some old man who's just sputtering nonsense. Because I mean, this is the guy who has done nature documentaries. Oh, no, no. For they, over they'll 50 do worse years. than that. They will acknowledge him. They'll give him a nice, polite round of applause, and then they'll just keep doing the same shit that they always do. You know. Oh, that's even worse. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you know, it's just it's. Uh, they are giving him. They will effectively give him. Um, you know, um, they'll, you know, they'll give him a pat on the back, and then after that, they'll probably stab him in the back too. You know, without without even knowing about it, and you know, like uh, this. Uh, and there's all about this. It's, it's, uh, this is not just about Sir David Attenborough. This is about all of us. You know, like uh, you know, everyone talks about the migration crisis. Uh, you know, people going over the border in the south in the United States of America, and everyone coming over into Europe uh, from you know hotter climates and uh, you know various other places. And this is this is only just the tip of the iceberg. This is going to get worse. You know, as uh, places that are already uh, uninhabitable get even worse. You know, you are going to see a lot more people looking for cooler climates and looking for places where there is stability. And they will look at the America, and they will look at Europe, and they will look at various other places and say, this is where we need to go to in order to survive. I mean, you, you saw what happened in South America last summer, right? Where there was all those hurricanes that were crashing the country, and, like, homes were destroyed, businesses were destroyed, every place was flooded. Oh, yeah. The grounds were not habitable to sustain buildings, and so a lot of them had to move away and go to Mexico. Exactly. And so um, all of this is going to happen again. You know, like, uh, we unfortunately have learned nothing from the current crises that we currently face at the moment. And, you know, until um, this, until people start actually listening and actually start learning from uh, what eventually has happened and just stop, uh, you know, ignore, and just ignore, like, all the stupid, rabid noises of people, like, people are just in utter denial about uh, the problems that, and saying that this is something that they can, they can, they can solve uh, by just, you know, um, Keeping people locked out and uh, just ignoring what is happening and just letting, uh, you know, uh, companies just, uh, you know, ravage, you know, the uh, the climate in the way that they do. As long as they keep doing that, I mean, like, uh, you, you do not be too surprised that uh, you, this problem just doesn't go away. It just gets even worse. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? So. Absolutely. It's just absolutely astonishing that people have been warning them over and over and over again to be wary about what you dump be wary about what you put into the air be wary about what you uh, put into the water because if you don't then you'll suffer from severe consequences and again you know nobody is treating the situation seriously mm-hmm 
moving on. So um, we are going to play um, a clip from uh, the James O'Brien show on LBC. Uh, so, um, just to give the, everyone a uh, context of this, so um, there has been a lot of misinformation about the COVID vaccine jab, and uh, this basically, um, this is basically how you do it, how you effectively um, try and pull this whole thing apart. And you know, this isn't just vaccines like this can be done. This can be done for like for QAnon. This can be done for like you know, flat earthers. You know, like, uh, it can be done for, uh, various other stupid conspiracy theories. Like, ju- just let's look at a masterclass of basically how you tear all this whole thing apart. So, uh, Patricia, shall I play the clip? I'm genuinely curious, so okay. let's do it. James O'Brien, LBC. You're right, I have kind of shot your fox a little, because I, d- I no longer subscribe to the nothing to hide, nothing to fear thing, but I can't currently see the leap you've made from status to COVID status certificates to Windrush. Just talk me through that, if you would. Well... The, the the poor folk of Windrush who were sent back to the West Indies yes. basically were, were, were sent back because of lack of documentation. And this is an argument for more documentation. No, it's not. But it's, a, it's an it argument is. for if we... It's, it's like having... It's like having a, if, an, if the ID card is, is the, the, the golden ticket, if we believe everything on the ID card... But it's not it's ID. not an ID card. It's a COVID status certificate that would be uh, under one proposal that would be sort of part of your NHS app. Not sure I see the difference between a certificate and... A- just, to, just to be clear, the NHS app is like the uh, the mobile phone app that tells you basically if you, have to, you need to get a COVID test. So uh, just, just let everyone know. An ID card. It's the same sort of thing, isn't it? No. Tell me. Well, this is a very specific certificate proving that you've done something whereas an id card is a uh, is is, is kind of like uh we've all got id cards in a sense if you've got a passport or a driving license the the problem sure. is the suggestion is that it's compulsory to carry it and there's nothing about these suggestions that are compulsory so that's the biggest difference if you don't want to if you don't want it you don't have to have it it just means there's certain places you won't be able to go to until someone makes a point that allows me to unsheathe my zinger which oddly hasn't happened yet and we're 40 minutes into the hour so, so they're not like ID cards because they're not compulsory. Next question. It, 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 it's a gathering of information about the individual. They've already gathered the information. Oh, I, I have no doubt about that. It's, yeah. it's so it's not, it's sorry, it sounds like I'm badgering you, but that, so it's not a gathering no, of information. It's merely a badge saying that you're on a list that already exists, which you don't have to wear. We're not, yeah, we're not necessarily talking about the whole population who have this view, but I can see a reluctance of people thinking to themselves, I do not want to... Oh, I can as well. Which is, that, I can as well, which is why I'm questioning your reasoning so robustly, because I want to find out whether it stands up to scrutiny. And I think, I think, John, we could agree so far it hasn't. Uh, no, I'm not sure we can. Well, it's not compulsory, which is why yeah. your comparison with the ID card was, was invalid. And... Yeah. It is very specific to, to, to what it's, it's not a gathering of information either, which is why your suggestion that it was a gathering of information was invalid. And they're the only two arguments you've put forward and, and neither of them work. You're making me sound, uh, you're making me sound uh, un- unkind here, John, but I'm only responding to mm. what you're telling me. And now you're denying that, that I've responded to what you've told me in the way that I clearly have. 
I am not convinced. I, I can. So you're I not convinced by what? Because you said they were gathering information, and I have reminded you that the information has already been gathered. And then you said it's no different to an ID card. And then I pointed out one enormous, glaring reason why it's very different from an ID card. What is it you're not convinced by in those two exchanges? Yeah. Okay. You win. Thank you. Next call up, John in Chelmsford. John, what would you? John in Exeter. Before you go, mate, we're still mates, right? Is he, is he already gone? He's already gone. I hope so. John's in Chelsea. John, what would you like to say? <laughs> and that's basically how you do it. Wow. Like, you know, this is the thing, like, so, um, with all these conspiracy theories that are being spread around the internet, you basically just start with the premise of the argument. And you basically just get them to explain it all. And then you basically, you wait for the explanation, and then you pick holes through it, and then, you, then that's basically how you win the argument. There you go. I mean, it's it's basically pointing out the flaws and just saying, no, that's not how it works. This is how it works because it's common sense. Yeah, I just think that uh, critical thinking and debate, you know, really needs to be taught in schools. It really does. And so, I mean, because if, uh, if people were taught to think critically about the information that they consume, and if they were basically able to debate those who basically bring in flawed arguments and uh, basically put in points of view that you know are wrong. You know, if people had those skills to, like, be able to uh, criticize and to be able to, you know, logically uh, converse in, you know, basically d debating uh, a particular topic and being able to, you know, be, be able to basically hold their own in... Um, being clear with their facts and everything like that, you know, um, you could, um, all of these conspiracy theories wouldn't even get off the ground. Right. They, they, would, they, would be, they would be dead in the water before they even got a chance to swim. And yet at the same time, a lot of people believe in this firmly. Exactly, and I think that's what we need. We, we need um, people to be taught how to critically think. And I think our younger, it needs to start with our younger generation. Because uh, I yeah. guarantee you, like, uh, the, uh, you know, we, we talk about the boomer generation, you know, like, uh, being, you know, uh, un unreal about, uh, you know, the days I say, oh, hey, I, uh, you know, 1970, I only worked for $1 an hour, you know, which, uh, t or $6 an hour, which today would have been, like, $40 an hour. So, you know, like, obviously goes back to the, you know, the uh, $15 minimum wage being quite, uh, uh, being quite subtle, really, in regards to its, its implementation. But, um... You know, it's like, uh, it'd be things like this, like, imagine if today, and not to say we're not having this right now, but, uh, you know, if we had a far more well-informed youth that also had the combined skills of being able to think critically and uh, being able to debate at, uh, you know, at, at a parliamentary and even a university level. Like, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, I would be, I would be soiling myself if I was a 20-something-year-old uh, a right-winger who, you know, was a part of QAnon and uh, saw nothing wrong with the capital riots, you know? Because, like, you know, in a couple of years' time, when this new generation comes in, he's not going to stand a chance. He's not going to nope. stand a chance. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that's, uh, you know, this is the reason I say that these new generation of um, conservatives... That are, and I, I use that term rather loosely because I think you know they've worked kind of more away from uh, conservatism. Kind of, it's kind of much more like a high, high, you know, right wing. You know, uh, I mean, I, I won't call it fascism, but uh, I would call it uh, 
you know, I will call it right wing authoritarianism. I think is probably uh, a better way to describe it. You know, because obviously they they're in pay, they they you know, they claim to be on the side of like you know uh, not being a part of cancel culture and things like that, and uh, you know, say free speech and stuff like that. But in reality, it's always about dumping on someone else. That's 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 basically how the whole you know. That, that functions, but, you know, given the fact that we have people like James O'Brien, and the fact that we could have, you know, people with those types of skills, you know, on the radio, I mean, like, uh, dare I say, maybe we're walking into a new generation, like, where, where Lush, Rush Limbaugh finally has passed away, and now here comes this new generation of, uh, you know, of good, well-thought-out, you know, presenters. Maybe. 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 Who knows? Uh, we'll leave it out of that, but, uh, so... Um, moving on to more um, more happier uh, pieces of news. So, uh, Animaniacs, even though we've only seen one season of the show, it's been a moderate success, I would say, and uh, we're still waiting out to see what uh, season two is going to bring, but uh, no, Warner Brothers have jumped the gun and said that uh, they've been renewed for a third season. That's crazy, because... You know, we we do enjoy Animaniacs, at least the original one, and we didn't we didn't know about the reboot for quite a while. So I don't know the consensus of what fans think of the reboot of Animaniacs because I haven't seen it yet. I've been preoccupied with so much stuff at the moment that I haven't had the chance to sit down and watch it. So I haven't heard any complaints but i haven't heard any major praises either it's been somewhat in the middle i don't know if it's because maybe you know the return of the voice actors has been pretty comforting or maybe they didn't tackle in as much stuff or maybe they're it's kind of like the same i don't know but the fact that they're able to come back for a third season was just genuinely shocking it's like oh wow really that's cool but um, I don't know what the consensus of the fan statements are. Well, I just think that uh, with um, uh, Animaniacs, you know, it just, it was, um, I mean, obviously people are still in love with, like, the original show. And so I can see that, uh, you know, some of the original fans are going to be uh, gravitated towards, you know, um, the the current Animaniac products because I think they're still so loyal to uh, basically what was, you know, back then. And also, um, I just, I think that, but on top of that as well, there's, um, the, because there's other newer shows out there that are basically plying their craft. I mean, like, uh, you know, Animaniacs Reboot came in at the same time that The Owl House came in, and they came in at the same time that uh, The Loud House was starting to gain popularity, and it came in at the same time that uh, various other shows uh, are now starting to get their own fan bases, and Animaniacs is just kind of wedged in the middle of it all. Like, uh, I guess I mean, that's true. I mean, uh, dare I, I mean, is, is it just an unfortunate time that it's just been released at this time and it's not had a chance to kind of like, uh, you know, stand up from the uh, from the forefront of like other shows? I mean, give that in mind. It's like it's uh, it's on Hulu at the moment, isn't it? Like it's not yes, on. It uh, yeah, it's not on like, uh, you know, um, it's, as far as I'm aware, it's not on like, uh, you know, uh, uh, cable or like any other, any other channels at the moment, is it? No, it's not. No. That's the only way you can be able to watch it. It's a, it's a Hulu exclusive program, so it's not on Cartoon Network. It's not on any other major uh, network. I think that's the thing. I think what needs to happen is um, the um, I think Animaniacs uh, 2020 needs to I think find its way onto the airwaves, and then I think then we will see a lot of people turn around and say, you know what, this is um, this is either, oh, hey, I like this, but uh, maybe, hey, who knows, maybe I'll check out the original show. Or they might have the reaction of like, oh, well, I watched the original show and I thought it was better. And uh, then, so, um, I don't know, maybe it needs maybe it needs more exposure. 
Maybe mm. I'm not sure. Like, I mean, uh, yeah, other exposure than just the fans who grew up with it. I, I think that ha- I mean, I know that uh, the Discovery Kids. I-, I don't know if that's still around anymore, but that was where they're used to air because it was once called the Hub, and that was where a lot of the '80s and '90s cartoons would be having their reruns, as well as introducing new content such as My Little Pony: Friendship Is Magic, Dan versus the reboots of a lot of the um 80s and 90s cartoons such as strawberry shortcake and pound puppies and all those kind of cartoons and for a new generation of fans like the kids who were um growing up around the 2010s they got introduced to animaniacs through the hub but because now it's discovery kids and they have more educational stuff i guess they wouldn't know about that the hub uh or discovery kids uh wouldn't be having the reboot of animaniacs so i think that maybe it needs to um, find ways to expand on the publicity because I mean, not not that's not to say that exclusive content isn't enough to lure you into getting a streaming service. Paramount Plus, HBO Max, Disney Plus have all had ways in which to lure people in to say, I want to subscribe to this. Paramount Plus has a lot of the stuff from Viacom CBS. HBO Max has a lot of the stuff from Warner Brothers. Disney Plus has a lot of Disney, Fox, and um, you know Marvel, Star Wars, all that kind of stuff. Hulu, on the other hand, it does it does have its fair share of cartoons in there, like a lot of uh, kids' cartoons and adult cartoons, but it's not a major platform that I think of when I think animation. Yeah, but, I mean, what else is on Hulu at the moment as well? That's another thing. Like, well, uh, what... I mean, I, okay, so Hulu has a lot of the Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network programs. It also has a lot of the old Warner Brothers cartoons. Tiny Toon Adventures is there because uh, that's where I saw the episode of which I'm going to be talking about in my um, video that I hinted at last week. Uh, go listen to that if you want to know what it is. And uh, uh, the old Animaniacs is over there as well. And I think Pinky and the Brain is over there as well. So a lot of the classic Warner Brothers cartoons from the 90s are there, as well as a mixture of other cartoons. Uh, Bob's Burgers is also there. Um, and a lot of the, uh, even the Cartoon Network shows such as uh, Gumball, Adventure Time, uh, Steven Universe are also over there too. A lot of the animated movies from DreamWorks are over there. So it does have its, and anime is over there. So it does have its um, nice variety. I guess so, yeah. And, uh, but, uh, you know, like, I'm just looking at, like, uh, some of the, uh, some of the list. I mean, I'm not too sure if this is all of them, but, you know, you got, uh, I mean, like, uh, okay, Brickleberry, you got, say, Teen Titans Go, which, obviously, you know, a lot of kids are going to gravitate to, you know, we got uh, Adventure Time's on there, too, and then you got Sonic X, and then you got, uh, you know, Hey Arnold's on there, too, as we all know, and uh, also the original Rugrats uh, series is also there, too, so, but, I mean, like, uh, there's not, like, uh, a massive, like, uh, you know, treasure trove of, like, you know, car- you know, cartoons on there or anything like that, I mean, like, uh, there was still, I would imagine, like, uh, there'd be... Uh, an opportunity to like say, oh hey, like uh, let's uh, check out the new Animaniacs within this mm-hmm. uh, group. I mean, you think that would be uh, be something that would be on the minds of LB people on sorry people on on Hulu, but uh, I, uh, yeah, I guess so. But hey, I mean, they're getting a third season, and I know that uh, the voice actors are really excited on working on it. I mean, we saw pictures of both Rob Paulson and Maurice Lamarche recording their lines. Uh, obviously, you know, using the COVID safety procedures, but yeah, they're excited about it. Just Harnell's excited about it because I saw it on his Instagram page. Um, and I know that a lot of the people who work on Animaniacs are excited about this as well. Mm-hmm. So anyway, well, uh, congratulations to everybody, and uh, let's just see what. Uh, well, we've not got the second season yet, so uh, let's see what that brings, and uh, then you know uh, we'll see what the third season brings after that. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, um, we have seen the teasers of uh, the Rugrats. We've seen the screenshots. We've seen the. Uh, we've also seen like uh, the teaser they sent to us. And uh, so, uh, I'll tell you what, Patricia. I'll considering the fact that uh, you've spoken far more about the Rugrats than I've ever had on the show. Um, so, uh, give me your opinion of uh, what we've seen so far. Okay, so for those who haven't seen the clip, it's basically the babies watching on a widescreen TV of Reptar. And we have Angelica pursuing Chucky to find the cookies that Dee Dee had hidden away, uh, where uh, she tries to ch convince Chucky to play a game called Be My Jonathan. So Jonathan is a reference to her mother Charlotte's personal assistant that, um, uh, that we've seen a few times in the series. So... Now, you're probably wondering, what do I think of it? I mean, it does feel aligned with something like what the classic Rugrats would be. The only exception to this is that the animation style is completely different. It's going for this 3D style of animation. The, the, they kept the original designs, but they cleaned it up a bit because I know a lot of people... I, I mean, I don't know how you personally feel about this, Aaron, but a lot of people, especially those who did not grow up in our generation, a lot of the younger people, and I guess to some extent a lot of the people who are of our age as well, they don't like the classy Chupo style of animation. They think it's ugly. They think it's weird looking. They think that it's just awkward. And they didn't like it. And so they definitely cleaned up the, the, the designs a little bit and made it a little bit more modern. But at the same time, they kept the original integrity of what the characters look like. And I've seen more positive uh, opinions about this style than of Camp Coral. Uh, that's the spinoff series slash prequel series of SpongeBob. So... I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of mixed with this, uh, the, the animation style. On, on the one hand, I understand what they're going for. They want to be able to, you know, design Rugrats for a modern audience. But at the same time, I just think that the 3D style is just not very necessary. Yeah, I just think that, uh, I mean, here's the thing about this. Like, I'm really glad that all the old voice actors are returning again. Like, you know, at least they're, they're trying to bring back, like, uh, some of the original crew. But, I mean, looking at um, the, yeah, looking at the style, like, you know, like, again, like, maybe I'm just in a, in a minority here, but I actually, didn't, I actually didn't mind the original way the show looked. You know, oh, like, okay, uh, so, you, so you were okay with the Klasky Chupo design? Yeah, what was wrong with it? Like well, a lot of people have made the argument that it was ugly looking. Now, you, you, for those who don't know, well, at least people, at least when people look at the Rugrats, they know what they're looking at. Like uh, it's just, it's uh, you know, I'm, this is my biggest fear. I think of all of this. Like you know, we went through like uh, I mean, we had all this uh, criticism of like CalArts and things like that. So like you know, Adventure Time and like <laughs> exactly. all these other games, like like all, look all the same and everything like that. Like, uh, but uh, I mean, in regards to uh, I mean, things looking like ugly or strange looking or anything like that. But at least you can point at these cartoons and say that this is basically what, uh, you can at least look at it and say, oh yeah, I know what that cartoon is. You can look at Hey Arnold and say, I know what that cartoon is. And you can look at Rocco's Modern Life and say, I know what that cartoon is. And, uh, I mean, you can also look at, uh, dare I say, Jimmy Neutron, and you can say, I know what that cartoon is. But uh, I think um, in uh, I mean there's one thing I would say about, uh, you know, I I'm sorry this is incredibly cruel, but uh, you know, some of Butch Hartman's stuff looks all the same. He does have a distinct style, but a lot of people argue that that's really lazy because if you look at Gendy Tartakovsky's style, where you go from Dexter to Samurai Jack to Symbiotic Titan to Primal, it's completely different. Exactly. And so, um, but uh, I mean, unfortunately, um, I don't like the idea that, uh, you know, um, to make things better, you just make it 3D and you just basically make it all nice and clean and lighty and shiny and things like that. Like, you know, like, uh, I do like I do like those cartoon shows that have some grit in them. 
you know? There's a charm to it, you know? Uh, what a lot of people see as like low budget and, um, you know, gritty or rough looking. Um, some people say it as, well, there is a charm to it because that was what they had. Those were the limitations that they were able to work around with because budgets weren't that big. They were very inexperienced. They were just getting their footing in. So, yeah, I mean, we were dealing with like different technology. We're dealing with things like uh, drawing everything in pencils and using cell shaded animation. And in a way, because of computers, that's been stripped away. I mean, you could re you can recreate the style, but it's uh, unless, of course, if you're going to uh, do it the old ways, but incorporate some new modern technologies, it's not going to look necessarily the same. Cuphead and Rockwell's Modern Life Static Cling were able to draw everything with paper and then integrate it into the computers later. And that's what made them look really unique. Well, something like um, if you were to take a modern cartoon where everything is done with computers. And yeah, it depends on who is the one working on it. They do essentially look the same. And I guess Nickelodeon is trying to find their style of identity that's not the classic Chupo look or that's not the Butch Hartman look. Because those styles have been already been done to death. Um, yeah, but I, it's think just, it's, uh, I just think that with, uh, with this now, I just feel like, uh, hey, like, uh, you know, like imagine if they do bring back Hey Arnold for a sixth season. And like they just mm -hmm. say, well, this thing's like work for Rugrats, so let's just make it all in 3D. Like, you know, yeah, like, that's, uh, you know, if, if I were to guess, then that's probably exactly what they would do. They would give it a 3D animation look because, you know, 3D is the way of the future. I mean, that's how it was in the 2000s, if you remember. I just, I just feel like Rocco's Modern Life Static Cling just got this on the money when they said, oh, hey, well, you know, like, uh, we're going to do this thing for, uh, you know, a really, really big man. And like, you know, like, oh, hey, we're going to make it all 3D and things like that, you know. Like it's just it's uh, I I just feel like it's not it's not the right way to go, you know. Yeah, just... and and here's the thing: I have known about Klasky Chupa wanting to bring back Rugrats for almost a decade. Ever since I oh sorry, the fatheads. I do apologize. It's not not really. I don't know why I said really really big man, but uh, yeah. that's okay. Don't worry about it. But uh, there was that scene in in the movie where the um, you know Rocco Huffer and Philbert were watching the really really big man movie and and had that gritty DC style. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's, uh, um, so, um, there, there's some other things about it as well, which, uh, I mean, I, I kind of like, uh, kind of thought something doesn't look right here. But have you noticed that Susie Carmichael looks as, uh, looks the same size as Tommy? Which shouldn't be the case because she's older than Tommy. She's a year older and she's a toddler. She's not a baby. Yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, so, um, uh, I mean, maybe in this version they're actually making her a baby, maybe? I, I don't know. Like, oh god, they're gonna do the Avatar: The Last Airbender Netflix series in which they're reversing the ages. I have no idea. I think it was. Uh, I mean, from what we can see from the preview, it looks like Angelica basically is gonna be like you know the uh, the dominating toddler in all of this. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, which, you know, wonderful. I mean, uh, so some people had a problem with to begin with. You know, like exactly. with this show. So, uh, but uh, yeah, here's the thing. I know I've been negative for like you know the last couple of minutes, but uh, let's just see where this goes. And, uh, I mean, like, I'm not against them putting this out, and uh, it, who knows, if it is a big success, then, uh, then all power to them, but um, I can probably imagine, like, some of the original fans of the show, you know, probably not being all that too happy. And on top of that as well, I did, they'll just say, it's oh, it's a, this isn't a Rugrats reboot, it's Rugrats remastered, like, you know, uh, oh, hey, Angelica's after cookies again, not seen that joke before. Yeah, yeah. I was going to actually ask you the question before. Um, what more can they do with Rugrats? The show's been around for couldn't. about... A 
Like, I mean, like, uh, it, it all fell apart uh, when uh, they sent, uh, you know, Angelica and Susie to preschool. I mean, like, uh, it's just, it's, uh, uh, I was hoping that maybe they're going to do something a bit different with it, but uh, from what I can see right now, it looks like it's just going to be, you know, this, uh, oh, hey, we're just going to, like, uh, just start all over again with the story. Yeah, because, yeah, you can see in the preview that Dill and Kimmy are not in it, which oh, means... Oh, no, they won't be. Yeah, they're not going to be because they're basically returning everything back to basics. Yeah, right now I have the same I have the same concerns that I probably have with Star Fox Zero at this point. It's like we're starting again, but you know we're not really going to devi deviate much from when we started again, and we're just going to make it a bit more awkward to look at or make it a bit more awkward to handle. Maybe mm. I I don't know. I just it's uh. Um, I'm probably seeing it from the from the vision of a of a kid who grew up in the '90s watching the Rugrats. But uh, I mean, like uh, again, like I I liked the original show, and so um, I would really need some convincing. I think that uh, the direction that they're going in here is the right direction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I personally am intrigued on where the direction is going to go. Um, as we have heard in many interviews, when Arlene Klasky was talking about how she would like to bring Rugrats back, she said she wanted to include some modern elements into the show. You know, basically, you know, putting in modern technology and the characters going through modern problems. So I guess maybe we will focus a lot more on that. Maybe we'll be seeing, uh, you know, Stu and Dee Dee becoming parents in their 30s who, instead of being kids of the 50s and 60s, were kids of the 80s and 90s. And, you know, finding out uh, what was it like being a parent in this day and age. So if that's the case, I'm, I'm curious about it. But I, I mean, other than like you know, bringing in some modern things, I mean, uh, unless, of course, if they're able to go really, really far and tell riskier stories, then I don't know what more you can add to it. Mm. So anyway, we'll keep our eye on the Rugrats and uh, we'll see where it seems to go. And uh, yeah, and uh, we'll basically let you know <laughs> what we think as uh, more stuff gets released. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, theme park news, would you believe, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so Disneyland California is going to be reopening temporarily for a touch of Disney event, whatever that means. I'm really upset about this. Okay, so um, on Wednesday, Disneyland Resorts announced that starting March 18th, customers can go back to Disney Calif Disneyland California Adventure Park to sample food and beverages from around the park, see Disney characters, post for special photos and locations, at the top of di uh, and shop for Disney merchandise. Uh, according to this, health and safety measures will be placed uh, based on the guidance of health authorities, such as the uh, CDC and government agencies. So uh, tickets will go on sale on March 4th. So the limited capacity event will run through April 5th and allows more than 1,000 Disney cast members to return to work. So Disney Resort, Resort, which Disney California Adventure Park is part of, has been closed since March 16th of 2020 when the pandemic first took hold in the U.S. As of now, California Governor Gavin Newsom's blueprint for a safe economy doesn't allow for theme parks to completely reopen. Challenging the governor in Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors, who stated their support on the, for the bill of uh, 420, which uh, would uh, let theme parks uh, get open in the state earlier. 
Uh, since the pandemic began, Disney has closed all 12 of its theme parks around the world. Uh, the company has laid off around 32,000 employees. So the unions that represent Disneyland ca- employees in California continue to push Newsom to reopen the parks with some restrictions in place. Uh, Disney World in Florida recently reopened and planning its 50th anniversary uh, festival, the World Most Magical Celebration, slated for premiere in October 1st, 2021. So, uh, Patricia, I'll give you the floor. Your thoughts on uh, Disneyland California reopening in March? It's too soon. You're essentially reopening a major attraction in the biggest hotspot in the United States. As, as you know, I, I'm just going to flat out and say this. My aunt had just recently got out of the hospital after going through COVID-19. And it, it, right now, even though she's been out of the hospital, she still needs to breathe through oxygen. And I don't want anybody having to go through that just because that it just so happens that, you know, something that you've been missing out on for the past year is reopening again. I would say that they should have at least waited a little bit longer, maybe around summer or around early to mid-fall so that they can be able to reopen the parks again. Because right now, it's not a good time. I don't want anybody to risk their health just so they can have a few hours of fun. It's just not worth it. What's the current vaccine rate currently in uh, in uh California at the moment. Let me look at this now. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Cal- California vaccine just So, uh, only about fifteen point two percent of Californians have received a dose. Yeah, fifteen point two, which is not enough. Yeah, so they've uh, they've done like a eighteen. Sorry, they've done like eight million so far, just over eight million. <laughs> so. That's not enough. I mean, you need to have at least 65 to 80 or even 90% herd immunity in order for you to walk around safely. So the fact that only 18% of it, in California of all places, which is the biggest hotspot right now, only received the the vaccine is is not good. And if, you know, people from other states whose, um, you know, cases are even higher, such as Idaho and North and South Carolina and Wisconsin, are willing to come to California so they can go over to Disneyland, that's going to be even worse. Right, and top of that as well, like uh, this could still be, it could end up being a disaster. Like uh, you know, Disneyland might Disneyland might reopen up, but no one end up turning up. You know, like you probably get like mm-hmm. you know, a couple of hundred people. Or it ends up that Disneyland does open up, and then somebody gets sick, and then they'll sue Disney for doing so. Well, I think uh, didn't they say that uh, didn't, didn't didn't the U.S. introduce legislation saying you can't sue uh, companies for getting COVID? That's that, true, but yeah, I'm sure they'll find a way around it. Uh, well, I don't know. Like, uh, but but putting that aside, like um, it, this is a difficult one because. At one point, you could say that. Uh, well, you could just say, "Oh, anyone who's who's feels like they're you know they're too sick to travel, or like uh, you know they'll probably." And who knows? Like, maybe if they're saying that there's going to be safety regulations in place, I mean, like uh, you'll probably be checked on the day whether you're actually able to, you know, uh, if you're well enough to actually enter the park or not, or anything like that. And like uh, then on top of that as well, everything will be outdoors. So like, I I highly doubt they would allow. Um, maybe who knows? Maybe they even might just like say, "Hey, you can't go into the store. You have to basically shop outdoors." And everything mm. like uh, if they do it like uh, you know you you and you and I went to uh, oh where where was it it was uh, the um, not the Magic Kingdom the uh, the other one and Animal Kingdom uh, uh, no Ep- Epcot sorry oh Epcot yeah. okay oh, yeah. Yeah. Epcot like uh, a lot of the stuff was outdoors and we're like on stalls and things like That's that true. so like you know a lot of it was well ventilated and things like that like uh, I mean obviously I mean I- I'm I'm still quite surprised that they actually are going to be doing an event like this because uh, I mean I can't imagine like operating a place of that magnitude and only letting only certain people in like uh, I mean are Disney even going to turn a profit doing this 
I have no idea. I mean, I, I also some of that as well. What if it, what if it reopens and the ticket prices come up and they're eye-wateringly expensive? You know, California. Oh. Keep this in yeah. mind. You know, you talk about people coming in from Idaho and places like that. They might not even think it's worth it. I don't think they'll think it's worth it either because we're talking about like one hundred and thirty something dollars for a ticket for one day. Exactly. Like uh, it's just it's uh, and some of it as well. A lot of people are hurting right now because you know either they lost their jobs because of the pandemic or because they can't. They, you know they're off work at the moment because they obviously can't. Obviously with these you know, thirty two thousand employees that have been let go. Yeah, there uh, you go. Disney World. Yeah. So it's just it's uh, it may this could end up flying back in Disney's face and like uh, you know that that mouse ain't gonna be ch- ain't gonna be chuckling. No. <laughs> Yeah, well, they they are making their money elsewhere with Disney Plus and all their other stuff. So I'm not worried about them that way. But with the theme parks, sure, I can worry about that just a little bit. But I'm sure that there is a way that they can be able to work around this. Well, one thing this is the thing that kind of concerns me about this. Like they say, like you, know, you take pictures with cast members and stuff like that. You, no, 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 no. You you keep them you keep them well apart. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, that 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 can't happen. You know, like, uh, mind you, as well as uh, as well, like, you know, it's uh, it's not actually going to be great. You know, what she's meeting your favorite Disney princess and she's going to be wearing a face mask. You know, like, yeah, uh, it won't, it won't, it won't be the same. It won't, no. Like, you know, it's like you want ex- you expect that, uh, you know, the uh, the experience is going to be. I mean, yeah, like uh, the way that Disney operates, at least the way that you and I experienced it. Like, we should be vaccinating at least to eighty percent of the population before you even think about doing stuff like that. Right. You know, like, uh, 15% is not good enough. I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you kidding me? 15% is nothing. 15%. You may think it's you may think it's a lot, but, you know, California is the biggest populated state in the United States. Well, that eight, is eight, like a, 8 million people is a lot of people, but it just isn't enough people. You know? Not for Disneyland. Exactly no. not. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I sympathize with everyone who's lost their jobs over at Disney World, but... At the same time, like, uh, is it really worth once again you know, reopening a park only to shut it down again? You know, because no. obviously everyone's going to get sick again, and the hospitals are going to become over overwhelmed. Like, no, you know, it's di- not. It's not worth it. Yeah, and I highly doubt Disney World wants uh, that reputation uh, attached to itself of being like you know uh, an infectious hotspot. Like you know, like uh, they've even had the scares like this even before coronavirus. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, I wish we could go on to happier news, but unfortunately, I think uh, this is going to be where you, Patricia, are going to be uh, kind of uh, eulogizing the uh, the uh, tenure of Daft Punk in front of the uh, in front of the uh, in front of the spinners. So uh, Daft Punk has officially split up as of this week. Yeah, that's true. So for those who are wondering, what is Daft Punk? So they are a musical. Surely, joke. Everyone know, listening to this show knows who Daft Punk is. Surely. <laughs> I mean, sure, but I'm just letting the people who don't know who they are, re- letting them know. Really, yeah. so, no, no, no. If anyone here who doesn't know who Daft Punk is, please leave. You know, just like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so take your li- Go look. You're on Spotify listening to this show. Go type in Daft Punk. Go listen to some Daft Punk and then come back to us, okay? Like, okay. Spotify, all the people listening on Spotify, what's your excuse for not knowing what Daft Punk is? Jeez, okay then. So, yeah, they had recently announced on their uh, video on their YouTube channel called Epilogue where they have decided that they were going to, uh, after over after almost 30 years, they were just going to split themselves up. We haven't gotten a reason why, 
but it has gotten you know um downloads and purchases of their albums to like to expand tenfold and more people have been watching interstellar 5555 for the first time uh, which uh, if you don't know what it is it's an anime that came out in 2003 that features a lot of daft punk music more specifically their second album discovery and then a lot of people have also been watching tron legacy which they also did the soundtrack for so yes i am very sad about them breaking up because I have been listening to them since I don't know like the late 90s or early 2000s when I first heard one more time in uh, a radio station I don't remember which one it was but I, I remember tune, you know I'm a I, I'm a lover of techno music and so when I tuned in and I listened to that song digital love harder better faster stronger um, uh, Ver Veridius duo and various other songs I just instantly fell in love with it and then um i knew the the only thing that i knew about tron legacy before i saw the movie was that they that, that daft punk did it and the music was just unbelievably good and i saw interstellar 5555 when i was in college and i had absolutely loved it knowing that daft punk music was being was being played in it so yeah, I am just really, really sad that uh, one of my favorite techno musicians have split off. And I, I don't know why. I don't know if it was due to disagreements. I have no idea. But, yeah, I'm just really sad overall of what happened. I was going to say, because uh, didn't uh, did Daft Punk put out, like, a, a statement saying, like, uh, why they've uh, decided to part ways? Oh, Not okay. really. I mean, the, the, the epilogue video just basically showed off some of their highlights and... And, you know, them just going away. And that was all we got. We didn't get any real explanation on why they decided to leave. Oh, that's, uh, well, you know, like, I mean, keep in mind, they've been doing this for 28 years. And, you know, like, uh, there's uh, even, I think even Kiss at one point, like, even though they've been together for, like, decades, they wanted to split off and go off and do their own things. Which they go on up sure. and did. <laughs> and then they got back together again. And did, now they, well, they were interrupted uh, doing their farewell tour, pretty much so, by the uh, by a certain Backstreet Boys reunion tour. So, uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Anyway, I thought this might cheer you up, uh, Patricia. So, how about we do a top 20 uh, Daft Punk on Billboard? <laughs> okay, okay, sure. So, uh, number 20 is uh, Doing It Right featuring Panda Bear. Oh, uh, yeah, that sounds actually a pretty good song. I, I, do, I do enjoy that one very much. Okay, number 19 is Phoenix. Phoenix? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, Phoenix is pretty good, too. Yeah. Um, number 18 is Instant Crush featuring uh, Julian Casablancas. Uh, yep, another uh, really decent song as well. It uh, really ups the ante a bit, yep. Yep. Number 17 is Make Love. Make Love is a really good one, for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, number 16 is Smoke a Cigarette. No, I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that one. <laughs> no, uh, no, number 16, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, number 16 is uh, Human After All. Human After All, uh, another really good song, for sure. Uh, definitely uh, akin to something that um, Daft Punk would do. Mm -hmm. uh, number 15 is uh, Lose Yourself to Dance featuring uh, Farrell. Yes, that is also a really good one, for sure. I, I really enjoyed that song. Mm -hmm. Number 14 is Revolution 909. Revolution 909. Um, I have to re-listen to that again to get myself okay. clear on that one. No, not only is this a groovy, is a groove totally stellar, Revolution 909 features the absolute best song intro ever. The sound is a muffled for through warehouse walls uh, the cops break up the party but so they don't succeed and soon uh, you're walking into a, a, a stuffy room filled with fresh face carefree cool kids oh now i remember yeah that, that one is also a really good one okay number 13 is superheroes superheroes is also a really good one as well i uh, really enjoyed that one 
Mm-hmm. Number 12 is face-to-face. Face-to-face? Um, oh, face-to-face. Uh, I have to re-listen to that one again. Okay. Okay, this one says, uh, All the samples cut up and mashed together to create something awesome, chunky melody. Uh, much of uh, this song features a style of thanks to Todd Edwards, uh, the American house producer, Daft Punk, credits uh, as uh, one of his biggest influences. Um, yeah, I, I that didn't really clear for me. I, I really have to re-listen to it again. Okay. All right, number 11 is Something About Us. Something About Us, really, really good song, a classic Daft Punk. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 10 is Robot Rock. Robot Rock, another good one for sure. Uh, yeah, definitely akin to what they would be known for. Okay. Uh, number nine is Technologic. Technologic. That's another classic uh, one. I, I have a story about Technologic. So um, there was, uh, you ever seen like those living statues that are uh, like, uh, like outside? We saw one on like Hot Fuzz. Oh, you know the, the guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah guy. So you pay you pay him money and like you know they can't stand there like a statue. So uh, this guy uh, decided to dress up as like a a, a wind up doll. So like, and he was like, he got to be clown maker and everything like that. And every time you put like a a a, um, a penny like in the pot that he was holding, like he would move around and stuff like that. And so um, I decided to uh, I decided to be a fun with it. And so I like uh, I put it on like on my phone and just blasted it, like a technologic and just put into like a load of pennies and just like just like dancing on te- the technologic in front of like all these people in the crowd. Oh, oh nice! <laughs> that was so much fun. Yeah, my love technologic. Okay, um, mm-hmm. uh, number eight is uh, Crescent Dolls. Crescent Crescendals. Yes. So for the yeah. So Crescendals is actually the name of the band when um, the the music agent decides to bring them over to Earth. So for those who don't know about the plot of Interstellar five 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 five. So there is a um, a music director who actually kidnaps aliens from all around the galaxy and turns them into human mus- musicians and removing all their memories. And so in this case, he does take the band that is featured in, uh, you know, playing the Daft Punk songs and turns them into a group called the Crescendals. And that is one of them. Cool. Uh, number seven is Aerodynamic. Yes, Aerodynamic is another amazing song, uh, very uh, akin to uh, Daft Punk. It really builds up the intensity. Mm-hmm. And um, it's too bad that uh, it's too bad that uh, they didn't get uh, uh, Lou Baker involved, and then they could be Interstellar of Mumbo Five Five Five. Oh my god! Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Okay, uh, number six is Daft Punk. I, uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, if, if, yeah, I mean, that's. That's pretty predictable, of course. Okay. I mean, you have to include that song in there. Number five is Get Lucky. Get Lucky. Get Lucky. Uh, I need to re-listen to Peaches that one. Features Farrell Williams. Uh, the biggest hit and first single from Random Access Memories. Uh, Get Lucky is a full circle uh, movement uh, of Daft Punk's career. They spent two decades clipping, chopping, and rearranging 70s and 80s discos and soul records. Now I remember what it is. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent one, by the way. Mm-hmm. Number four is Digital Love. Oh, Digital Love, such a great song. Uh, again, featured in Interstellar 5555. Such, uh, uh, that is an amazing song, by the way. Mm-hmm. Number three is Around the World. Oh, I love that song. Such a such an upbeat song. Fantastic. I'll love tell it. a story about this one. I was introduced to Around the World in a YouTube poop. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like, it was, uh, so uh, Bowser was like, uh, it was like one of those, like, uh, you know, those Super Mario Super Show uh, poops? That they did. Not the Mama Luigi one, but like it was like a different one, and uh, yeah, like it ended with like um, it, like Bowser's head spinning around the world, and like they just playing the around the world music. Oh and, uh, wow! And that's, that's how I was introduced to it. So like, uh, uh, wow. Yeah. Um, number two is uh, harder, better, faster, stronger. 
Of course. I mean, you have to include that in the top three. That is one of their most famous songs in all, uh, you know, in their entire album. Yeah. Wasn't well, there like, uh, was like uh, there was an animation on Newgrounds that I like was to that song? I think what? there was. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was. Okay. And obviously, number one, and I don't know if you agree with this, Patricia, is uh, number one is One More Time. Of course it is. That's the song that everybody knows from Daft Punk. It's the song that every, when you, I mean, you don't even have to know about Daft Punk to know about that song. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised that that is number one for a lot of people because it's the song that first introduced a lot of people to Daft Punk, including myself. Cool. And that was the top 20 uh, Daft Punk songs. So uh, yeah, all of, uh, I imagine they're all on Spotify and YouTube. So uh, go check them out. Yeah, and all fantastic songs, by the way. Yeah. I mean, at least if you're into um, electro pop techno music. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, speaking with old school, um, we have got a very surprising thing that's come out of the Ghostbusters uh, YouTube channel, and that is that uh, they are currently re-releasing uh, real Ghostbusters and extreme Ghostbusters uh, on uh, Saturday mornings. Yes, uh, this is actually quite a surprise for me too, considering that um, I know that the uh, the new Ghostbusters movie, the one that's going to be um, coming out, uh, I haven't heard any new information about it. And I was like, oh, um, aren't they you know, pulling this a little bit too soon? But maybe they're just trying to build up to the hype of it. But yeah, it's nice to see real Ghostbusters, which is uh, one of the more infamous um, movie to TV show uh, series that came out of, during the 80s. And then there's Extreme Ghostbusters, which is like the awkward series that not a lot of people really talk about, which is a shame because there's some good things about extreme ghostbusters well it's like uh, you know you know that nowadays you know there's like all these people on the internet complain that you know cartoon shows are woke now and things like that and it's like you know which uh, I, I hate the word woke like you know as far as i'm concerned if your alarm clock went off and you got up in the morning you're woke <laughs> you know that that, that that that's how i feel about that but that's for another time but i mean like uh, you know you know the third episode into extreme ghostbusters they go right into anti-semitism and white supremacy what? They know, like you know, like uh, they the one of the ghosts that they uh, they go to try and defeat is like uh, a ghost that's trying to protect a, uh, a a rabbi in a synagogue. Uh, um. Okay. Yeah, like you know, it's just like uh, they they're talking about this stuff long before you know everyone starts complaining about it. You know, like I don't, uh, so, I, I, don't I don't know what to say. About yeah, this. yeah, you should uh, you, you should definitely check that episode out. It's crazy. So, um, also, uh, you know, Real Ghostbusters, I've seen the pilot episode again, and, uh, you know what? Real Ghostbusters had the possibility of being, like, a really terrible cartoon, if you mm, just go off the yeah. pilot. Because, keep this in mind, like, uh, they brought, like, the Ghostbusters in, but then they bring in, like, these ghosts, and, like, they just remind me of Dr. Robotnik and, like, Scratcher and, uh, the other robot. You know, like, he's uh, kind of like, oh my god, are these gonna be, like, the regular, you know, ghosts that, uh, you know, the Ghostbusters are gonna keep regularly you know, bumping into, you know, like, and, like, there's not going to be any other imagination. So, thankfully, they didn't go that route. Like, there's all different ghosts that they all, like, have to fight and everything like that, which is great. They went to, like, a variety. But, you know, I, I was thinking, if they stuck with, like, you know, saying, like, oh, hey, there's this, uh, you know, Dr. Robotnik-esque ghost figure that they basically have to keep defeating every every episode, I think, ah, you know, like, uh, I could have seen myself going off that show pretty easily. Yeah, it would have been redundant after a while. Yeah, but you know, like uh, I think Ghostbusters, I think Extreme Ghostbusters needs, uh, I think needs a an, another chance. I think you know, like uh, I really do, I do really do urge people to actually check out the show. I, I think it just came out at the wrong time, it, it because even though that Ghostbusters technically was like 
about over a decade old. It was old enough to be passe, but it wasn't old enough to be retro. And plus, it came out around the same time as the Men in Black animated series, which a lot of people really loved, at least the first season. Yeah. So, I mean, but I think that it's a shame that uh, Extreme Ghostbusters is uh, not as appreciated, I think, as that. Because, you know, remember when there was all this controversy over Ghostbusters 2016? And uh, it was like, I remember like, saying, like, well, hang on a second, like, uh, there was an original car, there was another cartoon called Extreme Ghostbusters, which had, you know, uh, had uh, a guy in a wheelchair, um, someone from, uh, you know, a Hispanic background, uh, a, you know, a, a black character, and also, you know, uh, also a girl as well. And I thought, well, hang on a second, that was way more progressive than, you know, what Ghostbusters 2016 is trying to, pro- trying to provide. Mm. Uh, at least in my opinion, so you know, like I just think, I just think Ghost, again, like I know we keep going on about it, but uh, I just think Extreme Ghostbusters, I think, is a bit underappreciated for what it is, and uh, I think people should just give it another chance. Yeah, I think they should give it another chance as well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, but if you want to give it another chance, then uh, yeah, just subscribe to the uh, Ghostbusters YouTube channel. Which uh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, uh, time to go into the Pixar news. So uh, let's talk about the Monsters of Work TV series first. We finally got a release date. Yes, it's coming out in July. Cool. So um, I'm really looking forward to this actually, because uh, and I'm hoping that uh, you know it is going to be you know within the uh, continuity of like the original show. I don't know the original movie. I'd say because obviously we uh, you know Monsters University, while it had its uh, some of its positives, it did leave a bit of a bad taste in my mouth for me in regards to yeah. like you know going you know being the being the continuation of the. Uh, of the uh, of the of the Monsters Universe, the Monsters Incorporated story, but uh, I'm really glad that uh, we're now going to be getting you know this uh, this series, and uh, we're going to be build you know, doing world building with the Monsters World, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, I'm really excited about it too. And the premise of it sounds really unique. Uh, I'm just going to read off what the official synopsis is. Monsters at Work takes place the day after the Monsters Incorporated power plant started harvesting the laughter of children to fuel the city of Monstropolis. Thanks to Mike and Sully's discovery that laughter generates 10 times more energy than screams. It follows the story of Tyler Tuskman, an eager young monster who graduated top of his class at Monsters University and always dreamed of becoming a scarer until he lands a job at Monsters Incorporated and discovers that scaring is out and laughter is in. Ben Feldman stars as the voice of Tyler Tuskman in the series, which introduces new monster characters alongside returning favorites, including Mike Wazowski and James P. Sullivan. Starring alongside Feldman as part of the M- um, MIFT crew are Henry Winkler as Fritz, the scatterbrain boss, Lucas Neff as Duncan, the opportunistic p- plumber, and Alana Ubeck as Cutter, the officious rule follower. In addition to Crystal and Goodman, returning cast members from the original movies include John Ratzenberg as the Yeti and Tyler's dad, Bernard. So the, the Yeti's coming back. That's cool. cool. Uh, Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, Jennifer Tilly as Celia. Bob Peterson as Ross. Uh, twin. Uh, no, Rose. Yeah, Bob Ross. Peterson as Ro- yeah, no, 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 no. Rose, twin sister to Ross. Oh, so, okay then. So that's gonna be. I guess that makes a lot of sense because we turn. It turns out that Ross was working for the CDA, so maybe it's the similar character. We'll see how Rose is compared to Ross. Uh, voicing additional characters are Stephen Stanton as Smitty and Needleman, the bumbling custodial teen at Monsters, Inc., and Aisha Tyler as Tyler's mom, Millie Tuskman. Produced by Disney Television Animation, the series was developed and executive produced by Disney Animation veteran boss Bob Scanaway. So that is the synopsis. Well, it's nice to know that uh, it's in very good hands. 
to say the least. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, like, uh, I'm so I'm actually looking forward to this idea of like, uh, hey, you got this uh, Tyler Tusman character who has uh, learned that you know the way of his craft is scaring, and now all of a sudden the uh, the industry has changed, and now he has to basically make people laugh. You know, yep. like, uh, that, that is going to... Actually, I'm looking forward to that, because um, keeping this in mind, like, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I work myself in IT, and uh, so, I mean, you know, um, my job has uh, dramatically changed over many decades, or even over very months. Like, you know, like, uh, if you think that uh, I spend most of my time, you know, trying to, to get rid of the uh, the Microsoft paperclip off people's desktops, you are sadly mistaken. You know, like, uh, that is not the thing anymore. Like, uh, the industry has massively changed. You know, like uh, from uh, from back then. So, you know, um, in regards to uh, seeing this story play out, I'm actually really intrigued. I want to see if you like how real this this story actually gets for someone like myself. Yeah, it's like a person who has worked in a factory all their lives, and then all of a sudden go into the digital age. I mean, that's got to be quite a major jump. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we're looking forward to July, and uh, we're looking forward to monsters at work. Wow. Cool. Okay. Um, moving on, we're going to be talking about the Luca trailer. So, um, the Luca trailer has been released, and uh, it looks like we pretty much got our story. It is basically about uh, a bunch of uh, mer people who have decided to come up to the real world and see what that's like. Yeah, so we have these two boys, and they are trying to hide their secret with the fact that they are mer people, and it takes place in this uh, small Italian town, which um, is nice to see a, a different change of pace. And we've, already, we've even said that um, the setting looked very similar to um, you know, the stuff that we saw in La Luna, uh, except that um, I was hoping that the concept art would be like a different change of pace with the animation, but... No, it's it's the traditional Pixar stuff, which is fine and all. But yeah, I'm actually curious about how this is going to turn out because you I mean, know, I it- think I, I look at this trailer and uh, I mean, like, uh, yeah, it has that Pixar touch, but at the same time, it can differentiate itself from like all the others around it. Sure, right. sure. I, I was just like looking at the concept art and just comparing the two, but oh, okay, yeah. I- okay. Yeah, but I think that it looks really pretty. Like, the colors stand out, and the designs, and the uh, people around it look really authentic to uh, Italian culture. And I'm just intrigued about the story about these two boys and meeting up with uh, this girl and this family and, you know, trying to keep their secrets, especially since, you know, their stories about, like, you know, monsters in the ocean, you know, very akin to, like, how there used to be, like, these tall tales about how the reason why ships would go down was because they were attacked by monsters as opposed to just being attacked by the waves so yeah i'm actually curious about what the direction they're going to go into this one. yeah i'm like i'm hoping that they're going to make this more of a focus of like hey here's these two kids and like kind of like focus on those two of like you know going through the like this whole world that uh you know doesn't really appreciate them all that much and that's basically and so there is kind of like a you know uh, uh, uh and they they try and maybe they try and find a way through like uh, trying to stop them from like you know being hated so much for whatever reason, but uh, you know like I, I mean I really hope it doesn't go into the downs of like oh hey you've got to hunt these creatures and because you're so part of our family tradition because where have we seen that story before? <laughs> We've seen that story too many times. <laughs> well, I, I was gonna I was gonna say how to drain your dragon, but uh, yeah like in which is a DreamWorks film that we've we've praised already. So like That's true. Uh, I'm hoping that Luca is gonna give us something a bit more surprising than that, but. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like, uh, hey, it's a, it's a great trailer and it gets me excited for it. So, uh, and uh, no doubt we're going to see another episode of Pix Mixer on the horizon. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, Luca will definitely tell you all about it once it gets released. 
Yeah, and uh, also, if you want us to go more in depth on the trailer when it comes out, then please let us know. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I think I've, I mean, you know what? I'm uh, I'm sure we've had this conversation before, but uh, I think we had someone saying that uh, we were going to do a uh, a Pixar's episode on the Luca trailer. But uh, I don't know for this one, I'm not so sure. I think maybe if we get to one which is a bit more kind of like fleshed out, so it gives us like an idea of what like what the story is, then maybe we'll probably do one on that, and we'll do like a preview for Luca. But, uh, yeah, this is a teaser. You have to understand, this is a teaser trailer. So I think when the final trailer comes out, then we'll probably go more into it. I think so, yeah. Well, at least one more is extended anyway. So, cool. All right, then. So Nickelodeon is to expand Avatar The Last Airbender with creators. Uh, first up is an animated film. Yeah, so you remember a few months ago in which we talked about how Mike and Brian were working on the live-action Netflix series, and then they left due to creative differences? And so they were like, screw that, we're going to start our own company because we know that Avatar The Last Airbender is now a hot commodity, and they're going to do it based off of their own ideas, as opposed to being forced by a bunch of ideas from other people who are trying to tell them what to do, even though they're the creators to begin with. So they're planning on opening up Avatar Studios, which is supposed to be a division where they can be able to animate adaptations of both TV shows and films based off of the Avatar universe. And the first one they're going to do is a movie. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited for this, actually, because, uh, I mean, um, are they going to be... I'm interested to see where this uh, Avatar movie is going to go and uh, where it's going to take place. I mean, are they going to do the are they going to do the comic book? Or uh... oh, if they are going to do the comic book, then I know the first one that they're going to adapt. They're going to adapt the Search trilogy. Yeah, exactly. Which I think you know is because uh, pretty much the the the, the show uh, ended at like you know uh, Ruko asking like, "Hey, where's my mother?" And then obviously we didn't get an answer after that. So maybe this uh, this upcoming movie hopefully will be the answer to that question. Well, yes, exactly. So, I mean, everybody has been asking ever since the series ended in 2008, where is Zuko's mom? And that is a question that was answered in The Search. And and I don't know about a lot of people who have read the comics, but I can assure you that there is a lot of them who haven't. And so they probably want to see this finally animated because we were really close of having this animated because around the same time that Legend of Korra was releasing its first season and it was supposed to just be that one season, it was supposed to be a self-contained story. And then Nickelodeon saw that the ratings were just huge and they were like, we need a season two right now. And so they they canceled the production of the Search uh, TV movie that was supposed to answer the question about where was Zuko's mom. And then they decided to focus on Legend of Korra instead. And so ever since then, we had gotten a slew of stories of Avatar from the comics. We've gotten the stories discussing about, um, you know, Aang and Zuko's, uh, you know, reign of trying to bring the nations to peace, the starting of Republic City, Toph starting off the uh, Metal Bending Academy, uh, the story of Kiyoshi and all the other avatars. We got more into Korra's backstory taking place after the events of Book 4. So I think that with this coming out, I think that people are going to want to see adaptations of these stories that have already been brought to life with the comics and maybe even some new stories. Maybe we'll actually get to see a new avatar in the mix. Like, we had Aang and Korra, and now we're going to possibly have a new Earthbender, and maybe even taking place in the future, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, but you know, you know what I really like to see, like, uh, you know, the, you know, the whole original Avatar universe was so huge. Like, you know, it was an entire world. It was so wonderful to kind of, like, just explore around with these guys and everything. You know what I'd really love to see? You know, like, I'd love to see, like, a Chronicle series of, like, you know, like, some of the people that they met along the way. 
you know, like, and they have their own stories to tell. Oh, yeah, sure. I would love to know more stories about Jet and the Freedom Fighters, or maybe June uh, being a, a bounty hunter, or maybe we can see, you know, more in-depth stories of Ba Sing Se. Maybe we can get backstories of the characters that we've seen that didn't get a lot of um, in-depth information. Like, maybe we get to know about General Iroh or Zhang Zhang the Deserter or, you know, any of those characters. Or maybe we get to have, like, an integral be connecting between Aang and Korra. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that they can play around with. And, you know, it it's very similar to, like, what Star Wars has been doing and Marvel, in which they're expanding more than just the main characters. They're focusing on the side characters. Adventure Time Distant Lands has been doing that as well, expanding the world and going more in-depth with the story of the characters that didn't get as much development. And I think that it worked for all of these things. And I think that Nickelodeon has been desperately trying to, you know, get their piece of the pie, which they haven't been successful at. Disney's been successful. Cartoon Network's been successful. But they haven't because all they've been relying on is just expanding more of SpongeBob. So I think that this is like their answer to seeing that how, how successful Avatar The Last Airbender and Korra was on netflix last year yeah you know maybe i'd like to see the story of like you know with uh the uh air, you know the you remember the air temple nomads who were like you know what who came who moved in when obviously all the airbenders air like you know were killed and then that, oh like, yeah a, i remember i'd like to see uh, hear their stories like you know how they try to resurrect the to try to resurrect the tribe you know like, yeah that'd uh, be great yeah like, uh, so, yeah. I, I mean, I think that there's a lot that they can play around with. I mean, it doesn't yeah, always have to so be focused. Much. I'd love to see all these stories. You know, like uh, I, I just, uh, yeah, just do a chronicle series, and like you know, you can just tell a story every time. It'll just get, it'll keep it fresh because you're going from one story to another. You know. Yeah, there you go. And I think that with the fact that it's such a rich world to begin with, with all these creatures and all of these different lands and all of these complex characters and the fact that they're able to now go beyond what they were able to tell the first time. I'm sure that they can tell a lot more serious stories akin to what Korra was doing in which it went there with its discussion of, you know, fascism and with war propaganda and various other things. So I would love for them to tackle even more stuff that we didn't get to see the first time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, we are looking forward to what the studio produces, and I hope it produces a lot of juicy stuff. So absolutely, and that just makes you wonder about it, about the Netflix series. I mean, like they got stiff competition now because you know you have um, you know, we talked about this last week about the guy who is going to be the new showrunner and the decisions that they're going to be making with switching up Katara and Sokka's ages, and you know uh, using only ten episodes to tell the story as opposed to twenty episodes. So that and now it's going to be a competition about which is going to be the one that succeeds. Is it going to be this new uh, reimagining of the classic, or is it going to be an expansion of said classic? Yeah, yeah. Much what, what Netflix are thinking right about now. Oh um, man, like I, I think that uh, they haven't. I think that they are scared out of their wits, knowing uh, that. Uh, can, can they like cancel this now? Like you know, like uh, I mean. Uh... The, I mean, Nickel. Obviously, they're doing stuff already for Nickelodeon, and like, uh, um, I mean, now they're going to be potentially in competition with the with the original creators of the show. Like, uh, it's uh, it's just it's. Uh, I mean, like, uh, I can just see them like you know running around like hella chickens, like saying, "Oh no, it's like this is everyone's like liking this, you know, the other Avatar stuff at Nickelodeon because obviously it's made by the original guys. What the hell are we going to do?" And then there's this one uh, asshole who will stand up in the in the meeting and say, "Get M Night Shyamalan on the phone." <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's like that meme where you have the business guy saying, we need to be able to, uh, you know, expand the story. How do we do it? Uh, go more into the characters? Go more into the world? How about if we just invite M. Night Shyamalan, who worked on the movie, and then the, uh, the boss was super pissed, and then he just throws that employee out the window? Yeah. So, uh, well, but yeah, all I know is, is that you're right, Aaron. I think that this uh, new um, live action Netflix series, they're in jeopardy right now. I, I, I just at this point, like, uh, how can they keep it going? Like how far? I mean, how far actually are they into production at the moment? We're not seeing a trailer. We're not seeing any screenshots as far as I'm aware. Like, uh, we're not seeing. They, liter they literally just hired the show, the new showrunner like a few weeks ago. Yeah, it's like, you know, just, just, just stop. Just, just stop. Like, you know, just, it's, uh, there's, uh, there's, you know, unless you've got something to show us that there's, like, any production, you know, any progress currently made with this, is like, you know, the whole, um, all of it's gonna be, you know, drowned out by the fact that, uh, you know, the original creators of the show are going back to Nickelodeon to work on an animated film, which potentially might be, like, one of our favorite stories. You know, like, yeah, okay, uh, you know what this stop. reminds me of? You know what this reminds me of? What? You remember Dragon Ball Evolution? Um, vaguely, yes. Okay, so Dragon Ball Evolution, when that movie came out, everybody hated it. And this had inspired Akira Toriyama, who had been retired from Dragon Ball for almost 20 years. When he saw the final product of what they did with the movie, he's like, I... I'm so upset that the Americans did this. And so he went back and he did Dragon Ball um, Z Battle of the Gods. And they were able to revive the Dragon Ball franchise again for the first time in over 20 years. So the fact that the creator himself was just so angry about the adaptation that the Americans did, that he himself went back to the drawing board and said, no, this is the real Dragon Ball Z movie. The Jeez, other one uh, that you saw it sounds like the original creators of the show actually know what they're talking about. <laughs> there you go. What a novel concept. Happened... Yeah, well, I know. What a novel concept. I mean, the same thing happened with Godzilla, if you remember that 1998 TriStar movie where it had absolutely nothing to do with the characters. And then Toei made, you know, uh, the Godzilla movie, uh, Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah, giant monsters all out attack. And then they made a reference to the fact that, hey, um, wasn't there a, a, a Godzilla that attacked New York? And it's like, oh, um, the Americans think so, but we don't think so. And so they actually changed the, the, the Godzilla character to Zilla. And saying that, oh, the American version doesn't exist, it's not canon. So are we going to see a similar correlation to that in which we have this Netflix series that's going to be coming out that's going to be a reimagining of Avatar The Last Airbender? And then you have the creators coming on by doing a movie and series based off of their properties saying, no, this is the real version. And then the Netflix version is going to look out, look like a sore thumb. It's like, uh, there's, I, I want there to be a scene in like uh, the uh, the live action one where, uh, you know, where the uh, one of the waterbender characters is like... Uh, you know, trying to like a fish for water, so like you know, f you know, bring up all the water out of the lake to like do fishing. And like uh, one of the characters says, "That's a lot of fish." Oh God, no! <laughs> I would love to see a reference if they ever do this. Is that the Ember Island Players episode in which they were actually making fun of how the characters acted in Avatar: The Last Airbender and being self-aware of what the fans felt? So I would like to see a moment like that in which they were to make fun of the Netflix series and saying like, "Oh, um, Sokka, you're you can't you can't um, tell me what to do. You know, um, I'm the oldest." It's like, what are you talking about, Katara? I'm the oldest. So I would love you know them to make some jokes. Oh, that. I bet. Oh, I bet you that's what's going. To, you know that, that that will be a meme. I guarantee you that someone will do that. You know, like yeah, uh, they, and, and, they've and, already and, done and, it with the last Airbender movie. Like you know where yeah. The, yeah. 
Where they had the end of the Ember Island players episode where they said, that was not a good play. Yeah, it was horrible. And then Sokka says, but the effects were decent. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, um, I think at the moment, I think Nickelodeon have probably, you know, uh, won the lottery, I think, uh, with uh, getting the uh, the Avatar crew back on board and getting them to yeah, do it, some it, stuff it, for it, them. It, it just took them 15 years to realize about how amazing this show was when they weren't just, like, milking SpongeBob for all it's worth. Pretty much. Well, uh, well, they got the Loud House now. Like, you know, here's the thing about this. Like, if this Rogue goes, goes goes okay, if uh, you know they uh, they bring the Loud House uh, movie up to uh, up to scratch and uh, they get it like everyone talking about the Loud House, then and then they get uh, um, now they got Avatar here and then they've uh, got SpongeBob. You know, uh, just uh, obviously you know Camp Crawl doesn't look all that great, but uh, at least if they can get it to some kind of like uh, uh, relevance to uh, to people, like a uh, Nickelodeon could uh, could dominate for a while. You know, mm, like it was, possibly yeah so uh, yeah I, i'm just I'm, I'm just really curious about um how avatar studios is going to fare up with you know releasing their films because we don't even know um you know what direction they're going to be going in i mean i don't know if they're because um they've been going into several different directions like there's a chibi style comic series that has uh, just been released uh, for younger audiences so they have definitely leaned more towards like the six and younger and then there's some that are for the older crowd especially for those who grew up with it that are leaning more towards the comics so i would like to see you know the direction that they go at because i know for a new generation of fans who got introduced to it to netflix i'm sure that they'll be really excited about um you know what is in store for them mm-hmm. okay uh moving on uh just a bit in, just an announcement uh the weekenders have turned 21 this week and uh, there's been an announcement that uh, there's going to be a reunion on zoom well the the reunion was yesterday oh was it oh it's happened already Yes, it happened already because uh, I saw the notification saying we're going to have it on uh, February 27th and it was going to be at a certain time. So, yeah, the cast and crew had already met up. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to see it because it was on yesterday and I wasn't able to see it. So they have been they had posted that they were going to be having a reunion and they were going to be discussing about the legacy of the show. And. Uh, I'm actually curious. Have you ever seen The Weekenders? Yet? Uh, yeah, I have actually, and uh, it was uh, it was done by the same people who did the Rugrats, I believe. Uh, oh. No, that's Recess. Oh, that's Recess. Sorry. Um, so, who, yeah. who, so who, what? The, the creators of Weekenders. Who else? What else did they do? Okay, so the creators of The Weekender, so it's it was created by Doug Landale, and Doug Landale you may know as the creator of the Earthworm Jim cartoon and Dave the Barbarian. Oh, okay then. Sorry. Yeah, that, that's, that's that's yeah, that's that's yeah. You you're confused. I, I I wouldn't. I'm not too um surprised that you got them confused because they're pretty much similar shows. I mean, they're both slice of life cartoons. They came out on ABC around the late '90s, and it focuses on a group of kids hanging out. Whereas w- Recess, it hung, they you got to see the kids in school hanging out during recess. The Weekenders, you got to see a group of kids hanging out during the weekend. So that is what the concept is. It's about these four middle school students named Tino, Lore. Uh, Carver and Tish, and they hang out with each other around the weekend. They do things by going to a museum, going to an arcade, going over to the pier, and doing a bunch of various things. And um, yeah, that's basically what the show is, is that they go through their everyday lives. I mean, that's how it was back in the 90s, where there was a lot of slice of life cartoons. Mm -hmm. And the cast consists of uh, Jason Marsden, who played as Tino, Gray Delisle Griffin, who played as Lore, uh, Phil Lamar, who played as Carver, and Tish, who was played by Kath Susie. And they had um, appeared in this reunion, t- talking about their thoughts on the show. I think that Doug Landale was also in there as well. So 
uh, yeah, I think that for a lot of people, um, The Weekenders is one of the more overlooked uh, slice of life cartoons that came out because there was a lot of them that came out around the late 90s. I mean, we can argue that Doug was the catalyst of the slice of life cartoons. And then around the late 90s to the late 2000s, when there was a ton of them, Hey Arnold, Recess, Pepper Ann, the, you know, um, The Weekenders is another one. You had Fillmore, Lloyd in Space, Arthur, Proud Family as Told by Ginger, um, All Grown Up. There was like a ton of them. And I don't really hear a lot of people talking about the Weekenders as much as the others, which is a shame because um, I had seen the Weekenders for the first time just a few months ago when I was invited over to do the Yesterday's Capers podcast, where we talked about Doug versus the Weekenders, and we watched various episodes. While they talked about two episodes because that was required, I watched half of the series because mm -hmm. I'm a crazy maniac. And... There were some episodes that were really, really good. I did like the lessons that they were able to learn. I did like, um, you know, Tino's mom, who's this awesome single mom who doesn't take crap from anybody. And there were some things I didn't really care about. Some of them just felt really stereotypical with predictable stuff that you would see in a lot of slice of life cartoons. But that was akin to the time period. But yeah, I, I need to see more of the show. But it does have that classic 90 slice of life appeal uh, for those who are interested in checking it out. And also the the theme song is really, really good too. A Living for the Weekend, which is sung by Wayne Brady of all people. Mm -hmm. And also just to let you guys know that uh, if you guys haven't got a, is it on Disney Plus at the moment, The Weekenders? Oh. Ooh, I, I actually don't know. I, I think it is, but I haven't actually checked it out because um, this was uh, this was before Disney Plus came out when I did the podcast. Uh, so maybe, let me just double check to see if well, it is. Well, uh, while you're double checking that, I've actually just discovered that uh, it actually is available for free on all four. So Okay, well, nope, it is not on Disney Plus. What? Why would it not nope. be? I don't know. I mean, to be quite honest, they're pretty slow with uh, you know acquiring a lot of their shows to put be put in there. I mean, just we just a, just got out of curiosity, is either Fillmore or Pepper Ann or Recess on Disney Plus? I know Dis I know Recess is on Disney Plus, and I know that Disney's Doug is on Disney Plus. Fillmore, no. What? And oh, no. no, I like no. Fillmore. And yeah, Fillmore was great. I really liked that show. And Pepper Inn? No, that's also not on Disney Plus either. Yeah, I, I, you know, like, uh, just, I would think that's it. Wouldn't Pepper Ann really fit in with like, today's generation? Absolutely, I mean, yes. Yeah, not to say that Fillmore wouldn't, but, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Pepper Ann definitely would. And, like, I, I always said that, you know, uh, Pepper Ann was once again another stupid decision by Nickelodeon to turn down. This is new. I mean, like, let's see all the shows that they've turned down. Uh, Pepper Ann, uh, The Proud Family, Adventure Time, Constant Pain, uh, The Modifiers. Oh, the mod yeah, The Modifiers would have been a brilliant show. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a great concept. Uh-huh. Like yeah. Uh, no, unfortunately, but, we will. but apparently we need mo apparently we need to uh, uh, move for like uh, you know like Timo Supremo and uh, you know like uh, what else is uh, here which uh, I don't particularly find fond of like uh, I, I I don't I don't know but all I know is is that it's a shame that we will never get it considering that you know the sad passing of Chris Riccardi. Yeah, like uh, good grief! Like uh, I've got a terrible Timo Supremo actually was it was like it was, it was like that really awful version of the Powerpuff Girls. I've never seen the show. Yeah, you don't want to. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, and finally, we're going to be talking about that uh, Mr. Potato Head has now finally gone gender, ne gender neutral. <laughs> um, 
I thought that he was already gender neutral to begin with. Right. I mean, like, if you take all his parts off, then yeah, he is gender neutral. And on top of that as yeah. well, like, uh, it, like they had Mrs. Potato Head, but all it was was just, like, the same potato that they just took female parts on. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't really understand. I mean, I, I guess maybe the toy, sure, but maybe they were referring to, like, the character. So would that mean, like, the characters from, like, Toy Story are gender neutral? I mean... Not for the sake of, like, the, the plot of the story, but I'm just saying, like, as a concept of the toy, it's like you get the same, you know, round potato, and then you put body parts onto it. You put the hat, you put the wig, you put the hair, you put all that kind of stuff. You put the high heels, you give it the uh, the shoes, and it's like, yeah, you can make it to whatever you want. It's it's very customizable. Was, like, and some as well, like, in Toy Story, they were, they, I didn't show up, they referred to him as Potato Head. You know, like, uh, yeah. so, uh, you know, like... Uh, Yep, okay, so that is the end of the show. So, uh, Patricia, thank you very much for spending another wonderful month with me. So. Uh, thank you for having me. And we will see you all next week. Take care, and bye-bye for now. See you later.